what a beautiful singing. This morning we have the privilege of being able to celebrate communion together here at the beginning of this Advent season as we think about the reason that our Savior was born in that, in that stable. That, that whole scene that we sing about and that we picture and depict in so many different ways during this Christmas season. The reality is, is that Jesus, Jesus came and was born so that he might die. It seems like such a contradiction. The birth is, is supposed to be something that you celebrate in and of itself. But Jesus' Jesus's whole purpose for coming was so that he might be our substitute. That he might bear our sins. It was God's great gift to us. The spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as we just take a moment to step back in the quiet of this morning to thank God for the gift of his son. My prayer is that we're drawn together in a heart of worship and a heart of gratitude for our Father's great grace. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, He says that Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he prayed and given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread that we're about to partake this morning symbolizes the body of our Savior that was broken for us on the cross. The juice symbolizes the blood that he shed on our behalf as a payment for our sins. This morning, if you are here today and you've trusted in Christ as your, savior, as your personal Savior, we want to invite you to participate in communion with us. In a moment, as we pray, those that are going to help serve communion will, will come to the front and we'll kind of spread out here with the bread and the juice. And as our, our worship team leads us in, in some more songs, just come up out of your seat, come forward, break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. If you would prefer to have an individual communion cup, that, that is right here at the center station. You can come right down the, the center aisle. This morning as we, as we celebrate communion, let's do so with that, that, that mysterious mix that, that happens with this part of our worship. The, the solemnness that, that I believe honors God. By, by taking the Lord's table very seriously, which means uh, that we're not approaching with known sin in our life, with unresolved issues of unforgiveness in our hearts. But it's, it's mixed because it's also mixed with joy, a celebration because our Savior completed the work on the cross and brought the gift of salvation to us the only way that was possible through his death. As we approach the table with that solemn joy, let our hearts be filled with worship today. I want us to just take a moment, as we traditionally do, and just give you a, give you a second to just bow your heads in silent prayer.
before him. And then after a moment of silence, I'll, I'll pray for us. Let's bow. Christmas season brings us joy for a lot of reasons. For some of us, it's the giving and receiving of gifts, being able to exchange presents and watch, watching the joy of children or grandchildren tear into the packages. But Father, in the busyness of this year and all of the, the gift giving and wrapping and unwrapping of presents, let us not lose sight of the greatest gift that was ever given or will ever be given, Jesus Christ. Lord, your love for us was so great that you chose not to let us die and flounder in our sins, but to make a way back to you. However, the only way to do that was by sacrificing your only son. But when we bring together the Christmas season with the celebration and remembrance of communion, we're bringing together the, the bookends, so to speak, of Jesus' life, his birth and his death. We know that's not the end of the story. Three days later, he rose again and conquered the death. And today we have hope. Give us, as the psalmist writes, the, the joy of our salvation. As we rejoice this Christmas season, what our Savior has done. Be pleased this morning, oh God, by our worship. And it's in Jesus' name.
spend uh, a week's rest, bringing us into the Christmas season with some quiet worship songs. The title of today's message is War in the Heavens. War in the Heavens. We are going to be in Daniel chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, please join me there. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, the, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 748. That's where you'll find us, the 10th chapter of Daniel. As we get ready to wind down this series, I was trying to decide whether I should take a break here for the very end of the book as we go, go into the Advent season and begin a Christmas series. But I really wanted to be able to finish up the book of Daniel. So next week we are going to tackle the 11th and 12th chapters. The chapters 10 through 12 are uh, one big vision. And chapter 10 kind of serves as an introduction to that vision. And then the content of it will come in 11 and 12. So we're going to divide up that, that, that three chapter final vision into two weeks. And so this week we'll look at chapter 10. Next week we'll look at 11 and 12. And then we'll uh, share a couple of things from God's word with regards to the Christmas story as we inch closer to Christmas. Before we read together, let us bow one more time for a word of prayer and ask for God's wisdom as we study these truths. Heavenly Father, we come before you with humble hearts looking to hear from you. Some of these things that we have come up against in Daniel are very challenging. Some of them have been deeply convicting. Some of them have been surprisingly encouraging. Some of these truths, though, are difficult to understand. And so, Lord, we ask you this morning for insight. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work on our hearts to mold us and to make us like Jesus Christ through the truths that we're going to study today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you have been in battle. I'm talking about literal, physical battle. You've served our country in the military and have helped defended our freedoms in various places around the world. And you've seen war. You've had bullets fly over your head. You've felt the shock waves of explosions. Perhaps you've even seen comrades in arms fall beside you. You know what war looks like, what it smells like, what it sounds like. The Bible teaches that there is an unseen war, a war that wages in the heavens. Most of us have never been on the physical battlefield, and so we've had to either read books or hear stories or see it played out on the, on the big screen. Most of us have never lived in a place where uh, the bullets have been flying, where tanks have been patrolling the streets. Where you step out your door and look both ways and make sure the coast is clear before you head out to your car. I was with my family this summer and we had a chance to visit Gettysburg. And we visited uh, a house there that was the residence of the only civilian casualty of the war. The bullets were flying and you could still see uh, places on the house where musket balls had, had penetrated the, the house and one stray bullet went through a window and struck 20-year-old Jenny Wade and, 
and killed her on the 3rd of July, 1863. Most of us have never known what it's like to uh, have to, you know, duck as you walk past your windows and live with the knowledge that an air raid siren could go off at any moment. But this unseen battle is something that we're all in the midst of, that we're all participants of, whether we realize it or not. And in Daniel chapter 10, God pulls back the curtains of heaven just a little bit and gives us a glimpse of the spiritual warfare that is going on over the souls and lives of the saints. As Daniel opens up this chapter, we're reminded that it's in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. This means that at this stage of his life, he's now in his upper 80s, and Cyrus has issued a decree for all the Jewish people who want to, to be able to return home. Now, that's good news. That's the answer to the prayer in chapter 9, the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that after 70 years of captivity, God would set his people free. And so the book of Ezra, and if you want to read it later on this afternoon, you'll find the story in Ezra 2. We learn that, that at this point, 40, over 42,000 men, women, and children set out to return to the homeland from their Babylonian and Persian captivity. Along with them, Ezra 2 tells us that there were 200 male and female singers, 981 horses and mules, uh, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. A huge caravan returned home, and they began to rebuild the city. What a tremendous joy. But Daniel stayed back in Babylon. The text does not tell us why. Perhaps it was his advanced age, and he said, forget this, I'm not making the journey, I'm, I'm staying put. But maybe it was a, a spiritual reason, knowing Daniel's desire for his homeland. I have to think that if he could have physically made the journey, he would. But, but maybe he stayed in Babylon because he knew that God had unfinished work for him. Whatever the reason, we find Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 with a great burden. Because verse 2 says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. I read this and I think, come on, Daniel, what's, what's going on? You got your lifelong wish fulfilled. The answer to your prayer that your people could return home has been realized. And why are you mourning? Why are you fasting? Why is this great heaviness upon your shoulders? Well, again, we don't see it in this text, but as you read Ezra and Nehemiah, if you're familiar with those books, you know what's happened. That in the course of the two years since the people have gone back, the work to rebuild the city has been opposed. They were met with opposition. People did not want Jerusalem rebuilt. And so God's people were harassed, were attacked, and finally an edict was issued to stop the building. I believe word has traveled back to Daniel, and he is just distraught. Oh, I thought 
Everything was working out finally. After 70 years, I thought my prayers had fully been realized. And now he has this great burden to pray for his people, to pray for the work to be resumed. So while he's busy praying and fasting and mourning, it tells us in verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, and I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from papas around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision. And no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I, I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Daniel experiences quite a, quite a sight as he's out for a walk along the Tigris, apparently with some friends, and he, and he has this vision of this radiant being. The text goes on to tell us in verse 10, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling, and then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand, and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. If you're filling out notes, the first thing I want us to see this morning is the reality of the battle. The reality of the battle. So Daniel has this vision. This angelic being appears to him. And he explains that when Daniel prayed, God sent him. This, this angelic being was sent by God in answer to prayer. I don't know if you notice in verse 13. It tells us that he was opposed by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now we're not, we're not really, it doesn't expand on who this prince is. But all indicators point to the fact that this is a demonic being who is opposing God's messenger. Verse 13 says, he withstood me for 21 days. There was a 21-day battle that waged as this angel was on his way to bring answer to Daniel's prayer. He was opposed by this, this prince, this angelic, or rather fallen angelic, prince. The Bible has a lot of interesting things to say about angels and demons and Satan and the reality of the spiritual world. And we don't have time to delve into all, the, all those ins and outs. 
But we learn from, as we, as, we, as we comb the pages of Scripture, we learn that Satan is a created being and that he is uh, the original fallen angel. We're told that he was one who wanted to set himself up to be equal with God and rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him. And so a, a spiritual battle a battle in the heavens, an unseen battle, is, is a very real thing. It's not something that we see with our physical eyes, but it is real nonetheless. Satan and his fallen angels, or demons, want nothing more than to destroy God and his people. And he has been opposing God ever since. And you can read through the scriptures, and every now and then, he enters the scene. You may remember the Garden of Eden and the serpent as he appeared and tempted Adam and Eve. You may remember the story of Job when he comes to God and says, If you considered your servant Job. You may remember Jesus as he's out in the wilderness fasting and Satan comes to tempt and try. All throughout Scripture, we'll see little glimpses here and there of this battle that's being waged behind the scenes. And every now and then it comes to the forefront and we're reminded that it's the real deal. Just because it's not seen does not mean that it's not reality. Just because you don't have bullets flying through your window does not mean that there is, that this battle has somehow ceased or it's relegated to the pages of Scripture. Mark my words. If you follow Jesus, you have enemies. Unseen enemies. The point of this message is to not creep anybody out or weird you out, but it is to awaken us to the reality that we have an enemy, according to Peter, who prowls around like a roaring lion, hungry. Some of you, it's 1140. Some of your bellies are already starting to rumble. You're already thinking about lunch and what you're going to devour when you get home. Well, imagine every day, all day, even at night, we have an enemy, Satan, who is, who, whose stomach is growling for the lives of Christians, whose desire is to see us slip up and fall, to wander into temptation, to, to walk away from Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're, we don't just fight against flesh and blood. We think that the battles that we fight are all with flesh and blood, with other people here on the planet, when, whether it's your spouse or maybe somebody in church, disagreements, issues, problems. And we're reminded from Scripture that that's, that's not where the greatest battlefield lies. It lies in the unseen world. And it's a battle that we're in the midst of every single day. This battle is real. And you have an enemy who wants nothing more than to crush you. And so we need to remember when temptations arise, that it's, it's not all just a biological, physical, seen reality. 
that there's an enemy at work bringing us into temptation as best he possibly can. We need to be reminded when poisonous words form on our lips, ready to be unleashed on a brother or sister, that we are in the midst of a battle. When we remember that we should have family devotions after dinner, but, oh, I'm just so tired. The kids are getting whiny. We're in the midst of a battle. And we're tempted to medicate our pain with, a, with another drink or a shopping spree or a binge on Netflix. We need to remember that we're in the midst of a battle. We're all alone in the temptation to fulfill the lust of the flesh on our smartphone arises. We need to remember that we're in the midst of a battle. When our hobbies, or, or movies, or our apps become more glorious to us than our relationship with Jesus, we need to remember that we're in the midst of a battle. We do not walk out these doors today in the midst of a ceasefire. We walk into a battle zone, a place where your enemy is doggedly pursuing you. The battle is real. In Daniel chapter 10, as I read this week and studied this week, spoke that to me more clearly than, than I think I'd ever seen in Scripture before. The second thing I want us to see is the warriors in the battle. Now, there are several individuals that we, we're just not going to spend a lot of time on, but they show up in this passage the first one is this individual that, that appears, this angelic being that appears to Daniel. We're not told who he is. Uh, some have suggested that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. That, that, that Daniel was seeing Jesus and hearing. And, and some of the description of him uh, does sound like uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1. Could be. However, here's the reason that I think it's probably an angel rather than Jesus. Because... In verse 13, when he goes to do battle with this prince of the kingdom of Persia, um, if this were Jesus doing battle, it wouldn't take him 21 days to defeat him. That's, that's my own thought there. So probably here, Daniel is interacting with an angelic being, possibly Gabriel. He's been interacting with Gabriel throughout the book, but we're not really, he's not really identified. And so he, he continues to comfort and encourage and help Daniel. And then we get to verse 15. And it says, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one of the likeness of children of man touched my lips. We're not sure if that's a, the same angel or maybe a different angelic being. He says, then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? 
But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth, that there is none who contends by my side except against these, except Michael, your prince. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So you've got these angelic, this angelic being and Michael fighting alongside against the prince of Persia. And then he says the prince of Greece is going to come. Now, uh, Scripture doesn't really develop this doctrine really clearly, but there, have been, there are some that have, will use this passage. I think it's very possible to indicate that Satan and, and perhaps even God have angels that are over different realms uh, on earth. And so this text would be identified that there, there was an angelic being who was over this realm of, of uh, Persia. And then Greece would come in and there was another demon who, who was charged to take, take over Greece and to oversee and make sure Satan's work was being done there. And this, this being, this angelic being is telling Daniel, I'm going back into battle. I'm going to go back and keep fighting him. And then this Greece prince is going to come and we're going to fight him too. Michael's going to help me and we're going to do battle. Daniel's eyes have got to be like saucers. Like I'm, I'm, he's like, I'm just praying. I was just talking to God and praying for my people. And there's all this, these angels and demons fighting up in, in the heavens. What's going on? Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is, there is so much happening that we can't see. But we need to know that it's a reality. And fortunately, if you're a Christian, you're on the winning side. Things on this earth and during this time period are going to get ugly from time to time. But we know the outcome of the battle. So those are the warriors who are in the battle. You've got Michael, you've got uh, this, this angelic being, you've got the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the prince of Greece. Those are some of the warriors who are in this battle. But number three, I want us to see our involvement in the battle. Our involvement in the battle. Because as we've said, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to be or not, you're in the midst of this. Maybe you're just going along, you're just going with the tide, and, and you're doing what comes natural, doing whatever you want to do. You think, I just want to be neutral here. I just want to, uh, I want to be like, uh, be like Switzerland and stay out of all the conflict and just not, not mess with anything. Just keep my head down and go through life that way. God says, no, no, no. If you're following Jesus, you are going to be in the fray. You are in the fight. And you have an enemy who is chasing you. Do not lay down your arms and surrender, but take them up and fight. That's why Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. We can just go down that path that we don't have time to. There's, there's so much there. But the text tells us that, that we're right in the mix. Daniel, when he prayed in verses 2 and 3, and was crying out to God, this text tells us that God, in answer to his prayer, looked at this angelic being at the beginning of verse 10 and said, you're gone. I heard Daniel's prayer go. In response to his prayer, God sent an angel to intervene. That's incredible. Listen, prayer, don't get me wrong, prayer is, is for our physical needs, is important. But when you read a passage like this, you realize that prayer is a whole lot bigger than asking God to help my day go okay, help me to beat traffic, help me to be able to get that Cyber Monday sale, whatever it is. It's okay to 
pray for those things. It is. But the warfare that God calls you and I to be involved in is so much bigger than that. Let us not settle for a, a, a two-minute quiet time before we walk out the door. We are in battle. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. And there is a world out here who needs Jesus. There are people in this room who are hurting, who need you to know that and come alongside them and minister to them. Satan wants nothing, nothing more than to see disunity in this church and in your homes, in your marriages. He wants your kids to walk away from the Lord. And you and I are called to arms to intercede on behalf of the people outside these doors who don't know Jesus, of the people sitting next to you who are wandering into sin, of your children who are right now being taught God's word, but are hearing a different message or going to hear a different message from the world for much of the week. Listen, we are in battle. One of, one of the great pastors from across the Atlantic was a man by the name of Andrew Bonner. I think uh, Ireland or Scotland. And his daughter was recounting his ministry and she was talking to an evangelist and telling her this story. She said, when I was little, my daddy used to bring me to the church and would sit me in a pew in the back. And he would say, I'll be back in a little while. You stay here. He'd leave me and I wouldn't see him for a while. Well, one day I got curious and I wanted to find out where my daddy was while I was sitting, waiting in the pew. And I, I walked and I she said, I found him seated in a pew, and he was bent forward. And back in those days, people had assigned seating in churches, and their names would be on plaques on the, on the pews. And she found her dad leaning forward, reading the names on the pew, and praying for that family. And then he'd slide down to the next spot, read the name, and pray for that family, and slide down, and on and on he would go. And she said, that just impressed me that, that my father would spend an entire evening in the place where the people of God came to worship and one by one pray for every parishioner in his church. He had an overwhelming burden for his people. You know, when we're reminded of these deep spiritual realities, we're also reminded of our involvement in the fight. It's not just pastors who should pray like that. It's each of us. And I know time constraints and, and, and life happens. But if, if we really see the battle for what it is, we will find time to deepen our prayer life. Finally, I want us to see, number four, our encouragement in the battle. Our encouragement in the battle. There are four things I wrote down, just kind of by way of application and challenge and encouragement as we think about being involved in spiritual warfare. The first thing that I want you to remember is that you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. I don't know if you caught that phrase twice here in chapter 10, and we, we rushed by it once in chapter 9. In verse 11, and then again in verse 19. This angelic being, I'm just imagining him maybe 
says in verse 18 that he reached out and he touched him. Maybe he put his hand on Daniel's shoulder. And he says to him, Oh man, greatly loved. <laughs> Some of your translations will say, Oh man, treasured by God. The New Living Translation says, You are very precious to God. NIV says, You are highly esteemed. This word refers to something that is very precious or costly. You know, God this morning says the same thing to you and I. You, my son, you, my daughter, you are greatly loved. What an, what an encouraging thing to hear is you're being confronted by this heavenly battle. Some of you this morning are weary. You're battle weary. You may be sitting back there thinking, Pastor, I know I'm in a battle. There might be people here oblivious to it, but... I have been in a battle for a long, long time. Maybe it's a battle over a health issue or, or, or a temptation that has just been dogging you. Discouragement, depression. The battle is very real to you. God is looking at you today and saying, no matter what you're in the middle of right now, my child, you are greatly loved. Some of us here have never had anybody say that to us. Maybe our parents just could never find those words. I want you to imagine this morning God putting his hand gently on, his, on your shoulders, drawing you close, and saying, my child, I, I know that you're in the midst of a battle. I know I've been fighting right alongside you. But I want you to hear this morning that you are greatly. Those are God's words for you this morning. No matter what happens, you are loved by Almighty God. Second thing, second encouragement in this battle is that there is more going on than we can ever imagine. There's more going on this, this morning than we can ever imagine. My prayer through this message is that, that we're all awakened to the realities of what's happening behind the scenes, even though we can't see it, that God would give us an awareness that when we wake up in the morning, we have a vigilance. You know that if there were enemies with guns across the street from your house, you would live a little bit differently. You would not sleep much. You'd probably sleep in shifts. And, and when you were awake, there would be a, a vigilance. That, that, that rifle would be on your lap. You would, you would not walk past open windows. You would live differently. Let's bring that into our spiritual lives. We have an enemy who is prowling around. May that knowledge cause us to live differently. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, put on the spiritual armor of Ephesians chapter 6. Begin your day in prayer because you desperately need it, not because your pastor told you to. 
Begin your day in the word because you know that you're going to need to fight off the enemy's lies. Not because your pastor told you to. Spend time with your family in the word of God. Knowing that the enemy is out for them too. There's more going on than we can ever imagine. The third encouragement in the battle as we get ready to close here. Daniel's vision underlined for him the power of prayer. We've said it a little bit over the last few weeks so we won't labor here. But there's so much to be said from this chapter about the power of prayer. Did you see that Daniel prayed in verses 2 and 3? And then verse 12 said... From the moment, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Do you hear that? The angel came because of Daniel's words. When you and I go before the throne of God to, to plead for the salvation of our children, to, to plead for the lost soul of your neighbor, that family member you're going to see, at Christmas time, when we go before God and say, God, I am battling this temptation right now, and I want to I want to give in. I feel so weak to resist. Know that God is at work hearing your prayers and answering, maybe even sending angels on your behalf. It's pretty amazing. Never forget the power of prayer. And then finally, the fourth encouragement in the battle is that Daniel's vision reminds us that you and I are never alone. Verse 19, Daniel was weak. He said, I can't even talk. And this man, this angelic being, put his hand on him and said, Oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And listen what happened. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. God's presence is with us during this battle. He's not, not shoveled us off out the door to fight on our own. Here's your sword. Don't forget your shield. Have a good day. He is right there. Right there with Daniel in the midst of the battle to strengthen him and encourage you. My brothers and sisters, Daniel chapter 10 reminds us that we are in the midst of war. This is not a ceasefire. This is not a peacetime. We may not have tanks rolling through the streets, but we have an enemy who is prowling them, looking to devour us. May we live with a wartime mentality. And may you know that God's, God desires to strengthen you, just like he did Daniel. To fight the good fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us a constant awareness of what's going on in the heavens. We can't see it with our eyes. But your word reveals the battle that rages. Lord, we thank you that Jesus accomplished victory through his work on the cross and his resurrection. And so we can be confident of the outcome. But for now, while we're living in this, this earth that's wracked with sin and still under the curse, the battle will wage. Give us grace and strength as we enter the fray. 
may we realize the power that we have in prayer. May we be people like Daniel who find their strength in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.